Amen. Can we say thank you to Stephen for giving our welcome today? Man, we got a loud shout out over here. He is a lawyer, so you can start to boo now if you want. No, I'm just kidding. He's a good one and grateful for him doing this. It's not an easy thing to do to get in front of all of you people, but thank you, Stephen, for doing that. I'm Eric, one of the pastors of the chapel, and I get to teach a text today that is a very, uh, is very much a challenge for all of us. It's going to raise the stakes when it comes to following Jesus. Now we're in a series that we've called Ephesians because that's the book we're looking at, Ephesians. Paul's letter to this church in Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The way Paul starts off this passage, like I said, he raises the bar. The goal of following Jesus, he says, isn't just to do it in a way where it's easy. No, he literally says it this way. Imitate God. And I look at that, I'm like, wow. I'm supposed to act and think and live like God himself. Imitate God, therefore, in all that you do, because you're his dear children. Now, he's not saying to be moralistic in our behavior or to try harder. He's saying, look, you are a child of God because of what Jesus has done for you, and because that's your identity, that's who you are, you are able to imitate God. And I know that's a big goal and that may be hard to do. And so what Paul's going to do, he's going to lay out three specific ways that you and I can do that. If we allow Jesus to be in us and allow him to come out through us, these three ways will be evident in how to imitate God. Now there's three times in this passage we're going to look at three Greek verbs that are translated to walk or to live. And so when we want to walk like or live like God and imitate him, these are the ways to do it. The first one is this, live in love. Will you say that with me? Live in love. That's exactly what Paul is calling us to do. Again, he puts it this way, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He spells out what love really is. Love isn't getting. Love is giving. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. It's emptying ourselves for the good of somebody else. That's what it means to love. Whether it's a friendship or in our families or even strangers, when we love, what we're saying is, you're more important to me and I want to give of myself to bless you. You know what I think about when I think of this kind of sacrifice? Not only is it Jesus, which we'll continue to talk about, but I think about those who serve in the military. Who here is a veteran in the military? Can you raise your hand for us this morning? A couple over here. Oh, wow, look at that. Come here, can you say thank you? Man. Veterans Day is Thursday, and I just have been thinking about you and thinking about what it means to love. And yes, Jesus is that example, but veterans, those who serve in the military, I mean, literally what they're saying is, I'm going to go and give my life away for my country, and if I die, I die because I want you to be free. I mean, to me, that is mind-blowing, but that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to be as Christ followers. Jesus gave his life away for us to live. That was the epitome of love. 
when the military lets their lives, uh, lets their lives go and will even die for us, it's out of love for us as country. When we give our lives away, it's to love others the way that Jesus loves us. Now, Paul's going to tell us how to do that, but he takes a twist. Here's what he says how to do this. He says, so let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Now, that's an interesting turn, going from love and sacrifice, and all of a sudden he says, therefore, have no hint of sexual immorality or make sure you're pure. Don't let greed get in the way. And the more I think about it, the more it makes complete sense. If to imitate God means to love like God loves us and to love means to give yourself away, greed and sexual immorality are the complete opposite. For greed and sexual immorality are all selfish I mean, the, the definition of greed literally is to have an interest in money over everything else. And when we make it all about money and more stuff and our bank accounts are packed to the brim, what we're saying is we care more about that than other people. That that's our main pursuit. How selfish can that be? There's no room for generosity. There's no room for the poor. There's no room for anything else. It's just about my money. The same thing is true for sexual impurity. When what we're saying and what Paul's saying is we will satisfy our sexual desires and we don't care about anybody else, the other person becomes an object or we objectify that person so that we get our needs fulfilled. That's the opposite of love. That's the opposite of selflessness. That's the opposite of sacrifice. If love is for the other person, when we live by these greedy ways and living sexual immoral lives, what we're saying is, I care more about me than I care about you. And it's so true. When you look at our culture and you boil it down, two of the biggest hang-ups that I have with our culture is this pursuit of money and this pursuit of sex at all costs. It's ruining relationships. It's ruining people's lives because we need to make sure our needs are fulfilled. Remember, Paul's writing to Christ followers. Paul's writing to those saying, look, if you follow Jesus, you are to love like Jesus. You are to give yourself away, not take and take and take. We are called to be selfless in our love. Greed and sexual immorality have no place in a life that imitates God. Paul, he wants to just continue to stay on this topic just a little bit more. And so he says, this includes obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Now what he's saying here is, in the same vein of the sexual immorality, is a lot of times we think of sexual immorality as cheating on somebody or pornography or anything like that, and that's true. Actually, that, that word uh, sexual morality comes from the Greek word pornania, where we get pornography. So that's true. But Paul's saying even when we talk about it, it's bad. I mean, we're objectifying women by our jokes. I've been in locker rooms, and I don't even need to be in locker rooms to, to hear and to even say some of the things that come out my mouth that objectify women. And I've heard women do the same thing about men. And he's saying, you can't even joke about it. Paul's not trying to be a prude. What he's saying is it's not loving because you are using somebody else to get laughs. You're using somebody else for people to like you, and that's not right because that's not love. 
So even when we joke, even when we objectify women in our conversations or objectify men, what we're saying is we don't really love. We just want to be loved. We want to be liked. It's about me. It's interesting, John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, he says, all God's gifts, including sex, are subjects for thanksgiving rather than for joking. To joke about them is bound to degrade them. To thank God for them is the way to preserve their worth as the blessings of a loving creator. When we do that, it's love. It's selflessness. It's being thankful to God and doing life God's way, even when it comes to greed or, in this case, sexual immorality. Now, Paul, he he wants to continue on. This is how important it is, and he puts it this way in verse 5. He says, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, or kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Now, wow, Paul is like pushing all the chips to the center. (laughs) And yet when I read that, I think to myself, I don't have a chance. I've been sexually immoral in my thoughts and the way I've talked about women. I've been impure. I've been greedy with my finances. I've not always given like I should. Does that mean I don't get to be with Jesus? Does that mean I'm disqualified? And the answer is yes. All of us are disqualified. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. It separates us from God. We need somebody to come in and rescue us from this kind of life. And that's what Jesus does. Now, if you have said yes to Jesus and known his sacrifice on the cross and seen what he does on the resurrection, you are promised a spot in God's kingdom for eternity. So what Paul is saying here isn't, well, if you have sinned sexually, if you've sinned with your money, you can't be with Jesus. What he's saying is you get to be with Jesus, but if you continue in a lifestyle like this, if idolatry, when it comes to money and comes to sex, is pervading your life and it's leading your life, then you need to ask yourself, do you really know Jesus? Now, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes. All of us do. All of us are guilty of continuing to do these, even when we're Christ followers, but are we moving forward? Does our life reflect an imitation of God or not in these areas specifically? Because when these areas, well, these, these areas can grip our hearts, and it's so easy to disconnect us from God, and that's what we need to ask ourselves. Are we making progress in this? If not, we need to ask, do we really belong to Jesus? That's why he's so strong here. It's not about what we've done right or wrong. Jesus is on the ultimate. It's about what we do after that. If we follow Jesus, we need to be following Jesus and imitating God in our lives. So we make sure to honor him in all that we do. So the question I want you to wrestle with this morning is this. What characterizes my thought life and our actions? Is it selfish lust or sacrificial love? When it comes to your life, your actions, your thoughts, what is the predominant thought pattern and your predominant actions when it comes to your life? Is it selfish or selfless? To be imitators of God is to be selfless, to give yourself away to love. So we love and we also live in the light. Will you say it with me? Live in the light. Another way to represent being a Christ, to imitate God in all that you do, is to live in light. 
Here's what Paul says about that in verses 6 through 8. He says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things. Sorry, I just clicked it a little fast. Don't participate in these things, in the things these people do. Thank you. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Sorry, I cannot read this morning. Paul is writing to this church. This church, though they are trying to be faithful to Jesus, they are failing in many ways. And we looked at some of those, right? But even what Paul is reminding them of is, look, there's a disconnect in your life with Jesus. You were in darkness. Darkness pervaded your life. And that darkness represents sin. And at the bottom of sin is selfishness, pride, that you made life all about you. And that darkened your soul. But now, if you follow Jesus, he is the light that has pervaded your life. Now you live for his glory. Now you live for him and what he wants for you. And because these Ephesians weren't living in the light, they started going back into the darkness, living their old ways. And Paul's like, knock it off. You don't need to live this way anymore. Get back in the light. Not only do you need to get into the light, but you need to be the light to other people. And Paul describes in verse 9 and 11, how do we live in that light? How do we not go back to our old ways, but live in the light so that we can live free with Jesus? Here's what Paul says. For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Are these the things that characterize our life? The things that are good, the things that are right, the things that are true. That's who God is in you. Are we showing that light to other people so they see who Jesus is? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. I love what Paul says. He's like, don't participate in the darkness. You've been redeemed from that. You've been rescued from that. Live in the light. And by living in the light, Shine a light on the darkness to expose it. And at the chapel, we want to do that specifically this coming Tuesday. We are partnering with a mission called IJM, which is called the International Justice Mission. My wife and I went to a camp with our family this past year, and I got to teach there. And there was also a missionary there who also taught, and they were from IJM. And I know I've heard of them, but I didn't know exactly what they did. And what they presented was riveting. Their whole purpose is to rescue and restore victims of slavery and human trafficking, to bring criminals to justice and to strengthen justice systems. That's shining a light on the darkness. To say this isn't right, to enslave kids sexually and to do certain things to them, to traffic them out to different people. This is wrong. We are children of the light. We need to live this way and we need to partner with them so they can do their work around the world. So if you are a lady, we are bringing them into our renewed women's gathering on Tuesday. It's at our Sandusky campus from 6 to 7.30. And there's a woman flying in just to speak on this incredible mission to show us how do we expose the darkness? How can we participate with these people around the world who are fighting sex slavery, especially within kids and women? So that's going to be a part of that. But how do you and I do that in our everyday life? What does it mean to be the light? 
Not just to partner with someone who's doing it around the world, but here in our workplaces and in our households. What does that look like? Paul, he puts it this way. Verses 12 through 14, he says, It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. I love that. When we live our light out loud, all this darkness is made visible and people can see, wow, there's darkness. And it's our light that can give people a chance to change, to get out of the darkness for themselves. And we do that when we shine our light. And that's why it said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. How will people rise from the dead? How will that happen? It's when we shine our light in our workplaces and in our communities and in our households, even on social media. People will never get exposed if they don't see themselves in the light. Somebody who does this extremely well, and he's become a hero of mine in a really weird way, is a guy named Ted Lasso. Has anyone seen the show Ted Lasso before? Awesome, three of you. This is going to be a great illustration. (laughs) Ted Lasso is a TV show uh, that streams on Apple TV. And the only reason I had it was I I got a new computer, and they said, oh, you can get free Apple streaming. I'm like, who cares? You should watch Ted Lasso. I watched one episode, and I binged. It was incredible. Ted Lasso, he is a character on this show He is an American football coach. He coached like a D2 or D3 college, and they weren't even that good. And a team in England, where soccer, people tell me it's the real football, where soccer is, tabbed him to be the next coach, and he knew nothing about soccer. In his opening press conference, He starts to say, you know, I can't wait to see these guys on the field. Well, if you know anything about soccer, it's the pitch. He doesn't know how many people are supposed to be on the field. He doesn't know anything about soccer. Like, he's walking around with a book that's like soccer for dummies, you know, and this guy's supposed to lead a premier soccer team. But they don't bring him in, we find out, because he's a great soccer coach. Obviously, he's not. They bring him in to change the culture. You're dealing with professional soccer players where talk about greed and sexual immorality. It's just running rampant. And there's anger and there's backbiting. All of these things. And Ted Lasso comes in and he is the most likable guy in the world. He reminds me of an updated Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Rogers. And he comes in and he disarms everybody. And I'm not ruining the show, but as you watch people who are just negative and cared all about themselves... They literally start to change. Not because Ted Lasso is a great soccer coach, but because he's a great human being. My favorite part of the show is always the opening credits. It shows Ted Lasso by himself walking, and he sits down in the stadium, and all the seats are blue with graffiti, so it represents just how it needs an update. It just needs new seats because it's not good. And when he sits down, all the seats around him change, and now they're red and beautiful. And I just started to think about Ted Lasso, and I started thinking about this passage and what it means to live in the light. Wherever he is, people change. He didn't go around and say, man, you're a bad person, you should, and you're a sinner, you need Jesus. (laughs) He's not a Christian. But for us, when you live in the light, whether it's at the Thanksgiving table in a couple weeks, or in your break room at your workplace, or at the table at lunch or in the locker room, 
wherever it is, when you sit down, it all should start to change. The darkness that people are trapped by and they don't know how to get out, it should be your life and my life that exposes it and shows them that they don't have to live this way anymore. This guy didn't change who he was, though everybody tried to change him. And what happened? He changed everybody else. And when you and I live this light out, and we get out of the darkness and we truly live in the light by living a life of love, the people around us are going to notice and they're going to see for the first time they can live free, just like you and I get to live free in Christ. And so my question to you is this. Is the light within me more like a flashlight pointing out the darkness in others? It's kind of judgmental looking at the sin. <laughs> or like a beautiful chandelier that gives lights that everyone else can see more clearly? What does your life look like? And if you're a flashlight or you're not lighting up the room at all, why? What's preventing you from doing that? What are you ashamed of? What are you scared of? Let that go and be a light because people need it just as much as you needed it. So we live in love. It's a way to imitate God. And we live in light, shining his light into the world. And then the third one is just important. is to live in wisdom. Say it with me. Live in wisdom. Verse 15, Paul says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Nobody wants to be a fool, but oftentimes we live that way. And Paul's saying, you don't have to live that way, Christ follower. You need to live in wisdom. But what is wisdom? What's a working definition that all of us can understand? Well, wisdom, when it comes to following Christ, is, to, is the knowledge of God and his word put into practice and experienced. All this means is, God's word defines us, shapes us, molds us internally so that externally it shapes how we decide things, how we treat other people, how we live our lives. That's wisdom. Foolishness is following what everybody else is doing, taking control of your own life, living selfishly, but we know how dark that path is. But to live in the light is to live by God's word, to experience it both here and in our chair times throughout the week, and then give it away so people can see it. And Paul says this about wisdom. Live wisely, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Making, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I don't know about you, but it just feels like it's getting worse and worse. I don't have to convince you of that. There's many times where I don't even open my news app until the end of the day because I have to take a deep breath and say, oh, Jesus, help me. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Can it get any worse? And then the next day, oh, my goodness. It's crazy. It, these days are evil. I don't have to tell you that. So as Christ followers, how do we make the most opportunity? We live wisely. Okay, so we live wisely by putting the Bible in action. Why do we do that? Well, Paul says this in verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are like, 
wine tastes pretty good after a long day in this evil world. And oftentimes I get a question like, Eric, do you think drinking is a sin? And I would say, depends. Do I think it's a sin that it's to have a few drinks? I don't. Some of you, though, because of what's in your bloodline, and what's been passed down to you generationally, and some of you that struggle with alcohol, you can't even take a drop. And that would be considered a sin, and I commend you for that. It's a matter of consciousness. Some of us can, some of us can't. But actually, Paul's not talking about alcohol here. He's not debating on if alcohol is good or not. What he is saying is don't be drunk with something because if that something gets you drunk, it will ruin your life. You know what we can get drunk with other than alcohol? Power. Money. The mirror. People's approval. Our phones. Social media. Sex. It's anything that controls you. Because you know if someone gets drunk, that thing has controlled them. They are not in control anymore. It's leading their life and it leads them into ruin if it continues on over and over again. And Paul's saying, whether it's alcohol or money or power or sex or our phones or this culture, don't get drunk on it because if you do, it's gonna ruin your life. Instead, be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let God lead your life. Live wisely. Live according to what scripture says. Allow it to shape you so you can help shape the culture because the culture is dark. And the only way we fight back is to love and to live in the light so that people can see they don't have to get drunk anymore on everything else that leaves them miserable. They can lead a purpose-filled, loving, fulfilled life that comes from Jesus and him alone. If we do that, Christ follower, Paul says we will live a life of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among ourselves and making music to the Lord with our hearts. It's just a life of worship. We live life giving thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. If we want to live a life that's glorifying God, that says, God, thank you for everything, we'll do three things. We'll live in love, we'll live in light, and we'll live a life of wisdom. For those things imitate God, and those things bring glory to him. So maybe you're sitting here today, and a few of the things that you said, I know I've had to do this, let you feel like, man, I got to do a little work. Let me tell you, the grace of God immediately cleanses you. If you've fallen into a life of sexual immorality, if you feel like all you care about is money, if you've been doing a really poor job at loving your family, if you feel like you're getting drunk on alcohol or power or success or whatever it is, God's grace frees you and he wants to give you a second chance even today. And so my question to you is, what is controlling me that I and we need to confess? And I think the only way that we do that is to remember who Jesus is. He told us to remember him. And he gives us the example of communion. So take your communion comes out. Let me welcome Pastor Charles to lead us in communion.
flowing out of, of, out of that, Paul does say, listen, before you do communion, before you take this together, he, he says, check yourself. Check yourself a little bit, Christ follower, in a couple of these areas. And, and in order to do that, he, he says, in order to check yourself, to remember a couple of things. One, remember, remember the hope that we have in Jesus. Remember that because of what he has done and who he is, we have a hope for a future. And he says, remember that hope that he has given you. But, but then also, as Eric was talking, he says, look, re- remember what Jesus has done for you because of who you are. It is, it's, it's our sin that put him here. He says, re- remember what Jesus has done and, 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 and even confess those things to him, not because he's unaware of them, but because we acknowledge them to him. We acknowledge him and say, Lord, I, I need forgiveness and, and I'm bringing this to you now. And so take your, your cups. If you don't have one, just slip up your hand. We have some greeters that will uh, run them by you. Take that top film off. There's a piece of uh, bread underneath. And as you do, uh, let me share with you these words. It says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. This is Paul speaking. He says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Before we take this bread together, would you just quietly from your seat now take a moment and reflect, thank the Lord, uh, remember what he has done for you and the hope we have in him. Do that now for a moment. David's words in Psalm 108 where he says, my heart is confident in you. My heart is hopeful in you, Lord. That's why I can sing your praises with all my heart. Lord, we, we can have lives of, of joy, of freedom, of singing. Lord, it's because of you. It's because of what you've done. And I thank you this morning that we can take these few moments together to remember that. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Let's take that bread together. And then peel back that second layer carefully. And as you do, Paul goes on. He says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So again, I want just to take a moment from your seat, if you would. Take a moment to, to thank the Lord, yes, but to remember and even, even offer up if there are things you're carrying in your heart, if there's things you're carrying in your life that you need to bring to him in this moment. Do that. 
before you take this. So let's take a moment to do that together. together once again today what you did and why you did it. That is our sin that that puts you on the cross. It is our punishment that you that you took. That was not that was not on your shoulders. It was our punishment. Lord your grace, your love covered those things. You took that for us. So Lord I bring the things in our hearts that are that are dark right now to you. Lay them at your feet. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for help. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for who you are. In your name I pray, amen. Let's take this together. And I love in Matthew's account, then it says that after they took communion together, they... They sang a hymn and they went out together. And I pray that that is our heart as we leave this place today. We go out with a song, a hymn in our hearts to carry into this world. So let's stand together and let's say our benediction as we leave. It comes from Ephesians 3.20. Here we go. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great afternoon.